So we are in a series called The Misunderstood God, and there's a challenge in this in the sense that I had some intentionality as to why we're going this direction, and it's, it's a journey, if you will, through the process of looking around and seeing how many people just think they might understand God, don't understand God, not interested in understanding God, completely based off of a distorted lens. I think it's paramount that we clear the air, that we get a crystal clear understanding, and just like we heard from Omar, that we use a rational process mixed with faith that we might be able to see Jesus for truly who He is. And how does that work with Palm Sunday? How does that work with the crowds gathered on the road coming down the Mount of Olives that day? Interestingly enough, it ties in perfectly. So let's look this morning. First of all, I have, I have an authentic spyglass here. Uh, I, I can look over and I can, I can see Joe and, and I, can, I can see... Uh, boy, this is like Blue's Clues. I, I can see Gentry sitting in her living room. Okay, no, I can't. But, uh, you know, we're going to have this prop throughout the, throughout the duration of this series because, and you see it in the graphic, this understanding of when you would use a spyglass, you're doing it so that you have a clearer picture of what's out on the horizon, of something that's a little bit distant from you. The challenge is, in, in my prayer time, in my study time of uh, where do we go with this series and this message, it dawned on me, so I went ahead and purchased this off Amazon. It actually works. It's pretty cool. But I purchased it off Amazon for a prop that we might remember. And, and here I'm going to show you what a proper view is, right? And, and, and we would all agree that, you know, this is, this is how you use this, right? This is what you would do. And so actually what's interesting is I have to shorten it up to actually see Joe. Actually, I have to take the end cap off to see Joe. So, Grandpa, yeah, this is, this is too techy for me. Um, what's interesting, though, is that works. Is We think we're seeing things and we say, no, God's not there. Well, we have the cap on the end of the lens, and so we just don't see Him because we didn't do the right process. Now I have the right process, and let's see if He's there. There He is. Hi, Joe. Oh, you had a bagel this morning. I can see the remnants in your beard. Fantastic. I think it was an everything bagel. I don't know. Anyway, so that's a proper way for us to use this. Here's what I would contend. I think when we misunderstand God, we're looking through the spyglass like this. Now, oddly enough, that is a crystal clear picture of the back screen. But I can't read a single word. I can see it, but I can't read a single word. But you know what's even more important? When I turn sideways, and you see this, who's the subject of the spyglass? Not God. The subject is me. 
And I think this is paramount to us understanding why there is a problem with understanding who God is. Many of us may think we knew God. The people on that road coming down the Mount of Olives that day praising and saying our King, Hosanna in the highest, they thought they understood who Messiah was. But it's fascinating that those who were proclaiming King on Sunday were denying Him by Friday. And part of that is is because they were looking at Jesus like this instead of this. Now what do I mean by that? Number one, when we flip the spyglass around, what we try to do is we try to make God small. We try to make Jesus small. We try to fit Jesus into what we want Him to be. And that's what the people were doing that day out on the Mount of Olives. When we flip the spyglass around and we have it pointing at us, it says something even more important to this problem of of how we misunderstand God. We make ourselves the subject. We make ourselves God. And if God doesn't fit into our basket, if God doesn't fit into our focus and our lens, what do we do? We deny Him. And I'm going to give you the evidence from the story from the Holy Week, and then I'm going to give you evidence for ourselves in all that's going on there. If I can get my tablet to go back on and recognize me. And Windows Hello is fantastic. Hello, Windows. There we go. Here's what I want you to do. Take out a piece of paper. I'll give you a moment. Go grab a piece of paper and a pen or a pencil. Everybody, I, I appreciate that. I heard somebody in the, in the sanctuary. We have three people here today, um, and they're all within 14 feet of each other, just so you're aware. Um, and so uh, I, I heard some rustling for paper and, and a pen. And here's what I would like you to do is kind of a social experiment since we have all this distancing. Here's what I would like you to do. In order for us to truly understand how this illustration works, and for us to re-examine this idea of the misunderstood God, let's do an evaluation of ourselves. So, write down this, an answer to this question. You ready? Number one, what would you spend your last dollar on? What would you spend your last dollar on? And be honest, maybe answer the way that your spouse would answer for you. Maybe answer the way your children would answer for you. Or... Uh, Your parents would answer for you. Uh, Be honest with yourself. Otherwise, this just isn't going to work. Secondly, what would you most likely devote an hour to? You have one hour in the whole day. What would you choose to devote that hour to? And base this off of your lifestyle and your choices, not the projection of your wonderful self or your spiritual self. Let's do this in an honest sense, not in an idealistic way, but in a realistic way. Third, 
do you pray for God's will, even at your own expense? We pray for many things, my friends, but where the rub comes in is that often we pray this way, right? God, satisfy my desires, satisfy my needs, because I'm the one that should be in focus. As opposed to Jesus' very words and, and focusing on the Holy Week, Thursday, Jesus was saying what? Jesus was saying, take this burden from me. And then he flipped it and he said, but your will, not my will. He always had the proper focus of the Father. So, do you pray God's will even at your own expense? So this week, our society is seeing effects, both good and bad, from shelter in place or stay at home. We have seen a loss of life around the world and it's raising. And we have seen the stress of being exposed. We have seen fear uh, we've seen uh, bad information. Do we wear a mask? Do we not wear a mask? I, I don't think I could preach with a mask on, so I'll take the bullet right now. We've seen individuals and even individuals within our own church community who have had loss of work even this week. Children are being much more at ease and less anxious with better stability. I heard this report this past week. Now that may not be, some of you Some of you are in your living room, you're saying, oh, not my kids. Okay, I hear you, I hear you. Um, but some of you may be saying that. And uh, our society, uh, through some avenues of surveys and questions and polls, uh, have found that there is this unique thing that's happening, is that children who were under massive levels of anxiety uh, parents just not knowing how to minister to their kids or help their kids, when they've been pulled out of the world we have constructed for them and were forced into this more normal focus of a family construct, they're finding that the children are a lot less anxious. There's a, a revolutionary thing happening. We're seeing families becoming healed. We're seeing relationships reestablished because we're spending time together. Of course, we all know that there is a level of this that, that we're seeing uh, challenges within families because they don't know how to spend time together. But my friends, that's pulling back the band-aid to reveal a problem, one that we should work on. People are reaching out and trying to do good. We have a care ministry here in we have so many things that have been happening just this past week. You're going to be able to go to our church website, conqueredbiblechurch.com, and you're going to see uh, a care ministry tab that's going to be added and your opportunity to contact our office or reach through the care ministry and see what it is we have to offer. But we've done everything from driving uh, meals to individuals to going around and praying over people um, at a distance. Uh, connecting with people. I've heard from multiple people in our church that they've just been picking up the directory for the first time, and they're just calling through people just to encourage them. There are some incredible things going on. One of the individuals in our church passed on to me a poem that seems to be circulating, and it's called, And the People Stayed Home. It's written by Kathleen O'Mara, and it was written in the 19th century initially, 
And it was written as a response to the Great Famine in Ireland. It resurfaced again and ministered to many during the Spanish flu here in America and around the world a little over 100 years ago, 101 years ago to be precise. And it says this in her poem, And the people stayed home and read books and listened and rested and exercised and made art and played games and learned new ways of being and were still. Isn't that fascinating? That this happened initially, the writing of this being inspirational happened in context to the Irish famine and then was resurrected in context to the Spanish flu and now it's making its third pass. And it goes on to say, and listened more deeply. Some meditated, some prayed, some danced, some met their shadows. And the people began to think differently. And the people, and I want you to hear this, and the people healed. And I won't take the time, you can go and you can reference it yourself, I won't take the time to finish the poem, but I wanted to get to that idea of the people healed. Brothers and sisters, you heard me talk about this last week, that we have added so much because of our choices our choices in society, how we're going to live life, we have added so much onto us that we have created our own demise. We have created our own stresses. And now suddenly we are finding when some of those things are peeled back and stripped away, we're seeing some healing happen throughout a whole nation. Many of us have, have looked at some of the things that are happening in even nature because man has stayed home. That is amazing. But more importantly, my prayer is that people are being healed spiritually. That people would, would change because they're having deeper understanding of God. But the challenge is, just like it was during the Spanish flu, H1N1 back a hundred years ago, uh, affected this nation, affected the world. Uh, 30 million people worldwide were infected with H1N1. Over 675,000 people in the United States contracted it here, and 50,000 people died. Now, please understand this, that, that that was when there were very limited resources medically. And yet, that flu passed on. It died out. And it actually coincided with the ending of World War I. There was this jubilation that happened. So if you need encouragement, you need hope today, and, and maybe you're saying, well, is this something that God has done? Or is it just the flu? Where is God in the midst of this? And we maybe have a misunderstanding of God. I would encourage you, there are some answers to follow. But I want to encourage you with what happened even 100 years ago without the medical technology that we have today. They sheltered in place just like we are. As a matter of fact, they took the script for right now straight out of uh, our nation's response 100 years ago. Stay at home, businesses shut, schools shut, churches shut. And they had no live streaming, and yet the church survived. For how many of us is the Spanish flu at any point in our lives prevalent in the forefront of our mind, and yet we are being so controlled and so dictated by what's happening with uh, coronavirus that we're getting a what? We're getting a misunderstanding of God. Where is God in the midst of all of this? 
Well, let me share with you where we go with this, and let's go to the next slide here. I want you to understand, many of you have seen this explanation before. Uh, he is greater than I. Now, if that's going to stand true, and we've seen this, this uh, decal on the backs of cars, we've seen it on t-shirts, then we have to look at God with this kind of a lens. Right? Because this part magnifies out and it focuses on that which is distant. It makes, it draws it into us, but it gives us the image of what is out there rather than us taking that image and distorting it and shrinking it and making ourselves greater than He. And so I want you to remember that that sign, that greater than sign, is small when it's focused on us and it's greater because it needs to be. My God cannot fit at the end of this spyglass. But He certainly cannot fit, and I'm certainly going to conflate who He is in all the circumstances around me if I take my view, my approach, my understanding, and try to design God around that. And that's what happened on Palm Sunday. Let's look at this next passage. And so John 14.6 is our key verse today. And Jesus is giving a dialogue with the disciples, and this is where, in a very uh, real sense, He helps the disciples understand His transition into what's going to happen during the Holy Week. And He says, "...let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you?" And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to Myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you may know the way to where I am going. So what a beautiful statement about what is waiting for us in eternity. Jesus gives us this promise that He is preparing a glorious place. Just to think about the magnificence of the most beautiful spot on earth, Jesus is the one who created the earth. Think of what He is creating for us in heaven. And He's saying that I will come back and I will take you to what I am preparing for you. What a glorious message. Now I can try to look at it this way and say, well, I don't want there to be singing all day long in heaven. Right? I've had people actually tell me that. I, I don't, I, I'm not a little, I'm, I'm a little scared about is it just going to be, we're going to sit on clouds, we're going to, look, when you go like this, you're only going to get a portion of who God is, but you're going to get enough to know who He is. And the beautiful part of this statement that Jesus says is that whatever He makes, it's going to be magnificent. Amen? And so when we look at it through the eyes of Jesus, we look at those those statements as they are worthy of our trust. He is not going to set up something that is a slum. He's not going to set up something we're going to become bored with. And so now he makes a, a demonstrative statement because Thomas says this, and Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And here it is. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. So this is how Jesus describes Himself. You heard the testimony from Omar that Islam describes Jesus as simply a prophet. Does Jesus describe Him that way? 
Well, for Islam, they're saying what matters is our interpretation. Not who God says He is, but our interpretation. So we're going to look at Jesus and we're going to say He was only a prophet. As opposed to, let's flip the the lens and look at it appropriately and then we can truly see who God is. You heard Omar talk about and give testimony to the fact that in Islam, it's all about works. There is no grace. There's very little mercy. And certainly, Allah did not come down and sacrifice Himself, which is our focus this week, in the Holy Week. Now, it's not popular to talk this way, is it? How many of you have seen the bumper sticker that says, Coexist? And we love that thought. It's a, it's a great sentiment. Because why? Because just like the people gathered on, on the Olivet Mountain, we want peace. Yet, any Muslim who understands the Quran knows that Allah says that He is a, a mixture. Right? He's a mixture of of who our God, Jehovah, is. The Jehovah from Jewish. And, and, but that it is Allah and Jesus is simply a prophet. That's not who Jesus describes Himself as. So we have changed the lens. We have changed the focus. There's others that do the same thing when it comes to Jesus. Mormon theology. Jehovah Witness theology. The lens is flipped. Let me help share this idea. Jesus when I look at Him clearly through the lens, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Me. So when it comes to this idea that we can earn our way to heaven, no. When it comes to this idea that we can follow the great entity in the sky, no. When we say that we can practice these certain um, uh, religious rites or consecrated acts, And that will be enough for us. No, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said it comes through Me. He holds that right to say that because He came down, inserted Himself into our world, took on the form of human likeness, and then He went to the cross, and that's what we focus on this week. He went to the cross, took on all of sin and death for all of mankind, and had He stayed buried, then His message would be pointless, but He rose on the third day like He said He would, therefore defeating sin and death. He is verified. He has credibility to say who He was. And He says, it is only through I. In Acts, we see in Acts 4.12, there is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. That name is Jesus Christ. Think about it in these terms. You buy a new HDTV. Or actually, your grandpa buys a new HDTV. And what happens is his provider has a block of channels that are standard deaf. Right? You all have that. And so when he fires up his TV for the first time, it's on one of those standard deaf channels. Right? It's It's on a home shopping club standard deaf. And it is so irritating to your grandpa. And he says, this is what HDTV is? I don't want to have anything to do with it. Send it back. Or here, you take it. Now, how many of you have been the benefactors of something like that? Where somebody just, somebody just misunderstood what was going on and to their disadvantage, they sacrificed what was right in front of them. 
because they just were confused. My dad gave us a TV about six or seven years ago, and it had this feature that was fantastic. You could actually set the TV into 3D. Nobody does that anymore, but back then we were kind of excited about it. I was excited about it. And so I set it up, and there's a little button on the remote. And with that button, I could stipulate that I want regular vision or 3D. So I turned it on 3D, and my daughter walks in the room, she looks at the TV, and this is right when we were setting it up, and she says, oh my gosh, how much did you pay for that TV? It's horrible. The picture is ridiculously bad. And so I handed her a set of what? 3D lenses. And as I put it on her, all of a sudden she saw clearly what she misunderstood because she had the proper lens to look through and interpret what was really going on. Something that was maybe a little bit hidden, that on the front side it looked confusing, it looked blurry, it looked bad. Brothers and sisters, do you understand how we do this in our own lives? This week, the number one show on Netflix is vile. It is absolutely vile. And we wonder why our society is the way that it is. You know, Netflix is going to come out with worse because we have made something that's about murder. It is about uh, drug use. It is about abusing people. It is about um, just vile things. And we choose to watch that for entertainment. And we wonder why our society is the way that it is. You know, God gives us a choice. And that's where we're heading this week. God gives us a choice. He allows us free will to choose. It's like having the remote on the TV. This past week, I watched some Bob Ross. That's God's channel right there. Okay? I, I can watch some Bob Ross or I can watch some absolute trash. Now what is it that we just got out of Philippians and it says in Philippians, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is true. Think on these things. Set your mind on these things. And we wonder where is God in all of this? Well, the reason we have a problem focusing on God is because our eyesight is on filth. Our eyesight is on the things that, that are anathema to who God is. Let's make better choices with the remote. And so sometimes we say, well, TV is horrible. Well, yeah, if you stay on that channel and you have the freedom to be on that, but you can go over to another channel where there's something incredible, like Bob Ross. You can go and, and view something else. That doesn't mean that TV is, is horrible. And much like God's economy, He gives us free will choice. And that takes us to the Mount of Olives. Let's go and look at Palm Sunday this morning. The people had a misunderstanding of who Jesus or Messiah was and what He came to do. Let's turn to Luke 19. And I'll have some of the Scripture up there on the screen. Luke 19. And I'm just going to read a portion of this. We read earlier in the service where the people said, Hosanna in the highest. That the people had gathered. The people were excited. Now understand, it was Passover at that time, and so 
Jews from all over the, the uh, Mediterranean seaboard had gathered in Jerusalem for Passover. There were crowds upon crowds upon crowds. And not only that, you are taking those that had uh, seen Jesus do the miracles, and they had gathered and they heard Jesus was coming. And so they all reached out and there was a roar amongst the city. There was an excitement amongst the city. And for a moment, maybe they were looking at Jesus through a proper lens, through a proper focus. But let's look one more time what they said. It says this in, in verse 36 of chapter 19 of Luke. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set, it, set Jesus on it. And as He rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As He was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, a whole multitude of His disciples began to rejoice and praise God. Now here it says a whole multitude of His disciples, but in other passages in other Gospels. So that's true. That happened. But in uh, the three other Gospels, the account is that the crowds had gathered on the Mount of Olives that had come in for Passover. And it says this, and they began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now this is a... a a prophesied reaction. The people had been waiting for Messiah, but they didn't understand, they didn't see the ultimate gift that Messiah was bringing. They didn't look through the lens of, of what God had given. They looked through their own personal lens at who was coming down this road. He represented freedom for them. And maybe some of us have chosen to follow Jesus because we wanted freedom. We wanted freedom from sin. We wanted freedom from the, the circumstances in our lives. We wanted freedom from hurt and pain. And, and that's fine. That's what Jesus offers. But what's crazy is that when that story starts to unfold throughout the week, things change. And they changed because this is what was prophesied as to how Messiah would save His people. It was prophesied that He would die. It was prophesied that He, was, he would raise from the grave. And yet the people forgot the realities of what God said would happen. Instead, they turned the lens and they interpreted it according to their own circumstances they interpreted according to making God smaller than He is and saying, this is what I need from You, God. I need You to show up right now and take care of this thing. That's what I want. This is where we sell God short. And this is why this crowd, and not just this crowd, but Judas, Peter, many others, the Pharisees and, high, and the high priest, by the end of the week, there was a different story. The people were no longer yelling Hosanna. The people were no longer praising and saying, Our King. It was amazing. And it's interesting that as I mentioned in the video with Max, you know, it, it seems like you are, are casting dispersion upon those who are of Muslim faith. 
Well, the challenge is, in reality, if we're going to speak in reality, those who follow something that is a distortion and make choices off of a distortion of who God says He is, there are consequences. There is a lack of peace. And you heard, you heard Max's testimony that because he saw the fallacies and it was a, a struggle with the truth of who God should be in light of who his imams were saying he is, Max was not satisfied. And so he kept seeking and kept seeking. And finally that lens was set correctly and now he understood Jesus properly. Do we? Did Judas? Did Peter? Did the high priest? And so those that, that have a different view of Jesus that they have changed it, they have adjusted it, and it's now focused this way, always have to change who Jesus is for their own conditions, for their own views. Let me show you, and I'll have it on the screen, out of Mark 14, a passage I take to those that wrestle with this idea and they start to change who Jesus is, and they say Jesus is not God. He's the Son of God. He's part of God, but He's not God. Now here's what's fascinating about that. If He's not God, then why am I calling on His name? There's no power in His name. But if I see Jesus for who He says He is, then calling upon His name will yield results, just like Max saw. What's interesting is there's no contention about how those who were eyewitnesses see it. You see, later in this week, there will be a focus on what happened at the trial of Jesus. And the high priest asked Jesus directly in Mark 14, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? And it says, but he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, now watch this, I am and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. What Jesus says there is He doesn't, he doesn't mince words. He doesn't speak allegorically. He doesn't speak with metaphor. He clearly, clearly says with the lens on Him, I am a reserved statement for only Jehovah according to the people He's talking to. And it was blasphemous to compare yourself to God. And that's why we see as the response of the high priest, he rips his clothes and he says, what more evidence do you need? I don't need to debate this issue with anyone. Jesus said He is God. And the witnesses in the room, mainly the high priest, rips his clothes and says, what more evidence do you need? Brothers and sisters, a clear understanding of who Jesus is is to simply look at the testimony of the high priest. What happened that week? Well, the people lined up on a road in hope that Jesus was going to relieve their suppression under the Roman army, the Roman government. They just needed Him for a moment. As opposed to needing Jesus because Jesus is God. Because Jesus changes my life. Because Jesus is the author and perfecter of of my faith because Jesus has gone and prepared a place because Jesus will die on a cross and be raised again through the power of God and that promise is extended to us 
For those who believe when we die, we will be raised just like Him into glory and be given new bodies. But none of that can happen if Jesus isn't God. So we end up with a misunderstanding of who Jesus is based off of our own conditions, our own lens, our own distortions. The same thing happened with the people that week in Jerusalem. They just wanted a temporary fix, my friends. So they were excited. They were proclaiming on Sunday. But when it came to Friday, they were done with Jesus. Because they saw defeat. Brothers and sisters, God cannot be defeated. God cannot be defeated. When we flip the lens, we misunderstand who Jesus is. And that levels spiritual, physical, and eternal disaster. Today, the idea that we need to wrestle with is do we see Jesus for who He is? We have to start there. We have to stop interpreting Jesus according to our own conditions, our own desires, our own needs. Many of us may have signed up for faith based off of that. Can I encourage you? You need to wrestle with where you're at spiritually then. Much is at stake. There are many that I have met that would have come out on that road on Sunday and proclaimed, and then when God didn't come through for them the way they wanted to, they walked away and they denied Him. That may be you today. Can I encourage you, God is who He says He is. Otherwise, the resurrection doesn't happen. And so stop interpreting Jesus with a shortened view, a small view And stop playing God and making God acquiesce to you. Instead, get on board. Surrender yourself to who is glorious, who is righteous, who is right, and who has all good things for all men, for all those who believe. Get your lens correct. Here's something we can do to work on this this week. Let's go through this. This idea of Palm Sunday is a celebration of peace. It truly is. That's what the people were looking forward to. That's what the symbolism of the palm branch had to do with in prophecy from the Old Testament. And as we look at this and as we move forward today, I have three things for you to measure with understanding who Jesus is. A proper understanding that yields a right and clear relationship with Him. Number one, What is your focus? Because if your focus is on you, you're going to get a very shortened, truncated, bad version of Jesus. But if your focus is on God and on Jesus, then you're going to experience what Omar experienced, which is peace everlasting. It far surpasses any ideas, any understanding in such a tremendous fashion. The disciples understood this. Every single disciple died a martyr's death, but they did so joyfully because they understood clearly who Jesus is. You see how much more powerful that is when we look at Jesus for who He is rather than us trying to distort Him. So the question is, what is your focus? Start looking there. Number two, what is your choice? Well, what is your choice this morning? Do you choose to go down that journey like Omar went down and choose to correct 
turn and flip the lens around and say, Jesus, or Father, Your will, not my will. Are you prepared to do that? Maybe you pursued Jesus as a temporary fix initially on, and and then you feel like He let you down in the span of things. I encourage you this morning, make the choice. Because you're given a choice of a thousand channels. You're given free will. Get off the standard def and get on the high def and see Jesus for truly who He is. But you have to choose to do that. You have to choose to do that. And lastly, what is your peace? Well, this is a great way to figure out what your focus is and what your choices are. You've heard it stated, no God, no peace. Or, no God, no peace. And that's an eloquent statement, but it is so true. And I can say it in an idealistic manner. We can show you in the passages where that plays out. But you heard a live testimony from someone who was looking at God in a distorted lens, and then he was introduced with a clear lens to who Jesus is, and he pursued that over a period of time through faith and rational thought, and the picture came in crystal clear. And he committed his life, and there are no regrets. Just like last week, we talked about how how Jesus came along and healed the blind man, and whose fault was it that this man was blind and the experts are weighing in, and, and the blind man says what? Man, where does God get off making me blind for that long? What, what am I, his toy? What, you know, how does this work? I don't know that that's... A... He didn't say any of that. He said, I was blind and now I see. I rejoice. But many of us want to sit on the sidelines and look at God like this. In John 9, those who were looking at God this way were the Pharisees, were the experts, were the teachers. All of us are susceptible to this. But when we truly see Jesus for who He says He is, that's the first thing we have to get straight in understanding God. Then we will know peace. Let me close in prayer. And I'll invite Joe back up for a closing song. Father, this morning as we move forward with our celebration, saying Hosanna in the highest. King, I pray that for all those who are watching and all those who are listening, we have the lens correctly focused. That we are not asking God to acquiesce to us, but that we are looking at God with a clear picture of His magnificence. That we are looking at You with an understanding that we can never put everything into view, but what we can put into view is glorious, is righteous, is good, is perfect. Lord, let Your Spirit and Your Scripture work in our lives to help us understand not to flip that lens around and make You subservient to us to satisfy our temporary needs but instead to have a correct course and focal point so that we don't have a misunderstanding of who You are, but a correct, clear, beautiful pursuit of the One who died on the cross to vanquish sin and death and rose from the dead confirming His entire message, Jesus Christ is Lord. We say that, Hosanna in the highest. Amen.